Um, when Gary had said uh, I was preaching today, I was like, yeah, I love preaching. It's great. <clears throat> I was like, you're ruining my weekend of doing nothing. Do you understand? But actually, I really enjoy preparing to preach, especially if I don't have to cook for anybody else but myself, and my kids don't bother me, so it was actually amazing. <clears throat> I realized that connecting with God energizes me in a way, it restores my soul in a different way to just resting physically. Anyway, let's get into this. So last week, Gary preached on salt and light, and he showed us the the, the, the connection that our light, the light is our connection with God and our relationship with Him. And that the salt is our connection to the world and how it enriches others and it's our deeds. So today, you know me and my rabbit holes. Okay, so I found a whole bunch of rabbit holes for us to go down and this is the rabbit hole of salt. And it's actually quite incredible what the difference is with our conception of salt today and actually what it was when Jesus spoke those words of don't lose your saltiness. So that's what we're going to go into today. So today our salt is mainly what we call table salt. I know the big thing now is Himalayan pink salt is kind of like it has more trace elements in it. But pretty much our salt nowadays is you can walk into any store, most countries in the world, and you can buy pure salt. We don't really think of it much as an additive to our food. There's very little value that we place on salt today, if you would agree with me. I mean, we don't really think about salt as invaluable, as something that we would die if we didn't have in our day-to-day uses. I know the dietitian's going, yes, you would, but help us. Just go with me here. And also the salt's been refined, so a lot of the stuff that isn't good for us that is found in the salt has been taken out, and it's pure. So when we hear that God says, don't lose your saltiness, or it's kind of confusing because it doesn't really make much of an impact on us. So I kind of researched what salt meant to the world then in those days. So when Jesus was alive, and, way, and obviously before that, salt was, salt was rare, and it was a precious commodity. In fact, the rich people used to have loads of salt and the poor people, not so much. But it was something that was incredibly necessary for everyday living. So, for instance, salt was used to make your food preserve longer. Now, we don't even think about it in that kind of context today because we have refrigeration. So we buy food, we stick it in the fridge, most of us, or cooler bags or whatever. But we have an element where we don't have to think about salt as a preservative in our everyday life. Um, So there was an enormous value that was attached to salt. So when Jesus spoke of salt, people understood and had that kind of mindset. It was also very interestingly used as a form of currency. The Romans paid their soldiers their wages. Some of it was in salt. And you're like, what? (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. In fact, our term, the word salary, comes from the words salt money which is very interesting. So for people in those days, salt symbolized life. Another thing with salt is that it was a connection of, so it was known for the thing of friendship. So if food was very important, if you sat down and had a meal with somebody and salt was exchanged, 
It meant that you cemented your friendship. We just have food, and we eat with people, and we sprinkle our food with salt because we want our food to be a little bit more tasty. In those days, if you sat down and had a meal with somebody and salt was exchanged, it cemented the friendship, and it was incredibly important, and you never betrayed that, even if you were enemies. So it had an, like an enduring nature of an alliance or an agreement. Travelers used to walk around or travel around with little bags of salt, and if they came and had an agreement with somebody, they would exchange salt, money. It had value. <clears throat> it represented to people wisdom, purity, obviously, because it would purify things or preserve things, and there was a holiness connotation that was attached to the salt. So that kind of throws a bigger weight to those words when salt is used in the Bible. It's not just a flippant use of, oh, okay, we're going to make something a little bit more tasty. Now, I discovered something that there's something called the salt of covenant. It's only mentioned three times in the Old Testament. The first time it's mentioned is in Leviticus 2, verse 13, where God is talk, teaching everybody about their offerings and their sacrifices and all that. And God says to them, the grain offering needs to be seasoned with salt. Now, understand how much value, almost a salary, monetary worth is placed on salt, that they now needed to take not only just a grain, their grain offering, but they needed to add more value to it by sprinkling salt onto it. In fact, God says you can't offer any grain offerings without adding salt to it. And then he uses the words, the salt of the covenant. Then he goes on further to say that actually, in fact, all your offerings, all your sacrifices need to have salt sprinkled on them. So God takes a small concept, and then he goes, I want you to do this. And now he says, actually, I want you to add it to everything that you do. <clears throat> then in Numbers 18, verse 19, the wording changes somewhat here. So the wording talks about the covenant of salt. So now God's speaking to Aaron about the priests. He's setting up the temple. And he says, now the priests weren't allowed to inherit land the Levitical priests. So they had no way of providing for themselves. They weren't allowed to own or ever inherit land. So God says, it's okay. I'm making a salt covenant with you. And we're like, what? That doesn't make any difference. He says, I'm going to make a salt covenant with you that everything that comes into the temple, now there were certain things that they could eat, and, and take for themselves, and there's certain sacrifices that they had to leave. So he said, all those, I'm making a salt covenant with you that my provision I will provide for you through covenant of salt. <clears throat> so he's going to look after them and meet all their needs of provision. Then in Second Chronicles, now God has established David on the throne, and he then swears by a salt covenant that his descendants will always be on the throne. In the Message Bible, it says God's kingdom ruled by God's king. 
So it must have been difficult because some of David's descendants were actually big hash-ups. They weren't great kings at all. And this, um, I think it was Ezra that God spoke through, and he said, actually, I need you to realize that I made a salt covenant with David, and he will always have a descendant on the throne, which, of course, we know ultimately it's Jesus who sits on that throne now. <clears throat> so there's a little bit of a progression that I, I, I started to notice. To me, it sounds like God is saying, I need you to take something that's valuable, that you need in your everyday life, and I need you to trust me in it by giving it back to me. So take salt. You need that every day for everyday living. And I want you to give back to me, and I want you to give it on your offerings. Then he goes, now I want you to do not just on the grain offerings. I'm going to ask you to do it on all your offerings. Then he goes to the priests. Remember, we are called the priests. We are called a holy royal priesthood. He goes, now I'm saying you're going to take that, and I'm going to ask you to give a salt offering for all of your provision. Then he goes, now I'm going to increase it so that it's a whole entire nation. Trust. That to me speaks of trust. Are we trusting God? And what's interesting is that you take the priest lineage, which is the Levitical. David comes from the line of Judah. They're not of the Levitical priesthood. So he's now removed it from the, the natural bloodline, and he's put it in the line of Judah, which ends up as Jesus as king. So, salt means so much more than what we have our mindset for. Salt symbolizes in that world, if we can trust God enough to live with him and for him in our everyday lives, sprinkling of the little necessities and the everyday decisions that we make, but then God takes that salt and he makes it, he combines it with the word covenant, which is now something so much bigger than us. He's going, I'm making a covenant with you that if you choose to trust in me and live life his way, which is our part of the agreement, the trust, the salt, and he's going, he's going to change our lives for the better, his way, where one is where we have no judgment, and that's his part of the agreement, the covenant part. So this isn't a God who's asking us to trust in him who, now we must remember salt represented not only life, necessity of life, precious commodity, it very much represented on the same level of value with friendship and with agreement in relationship. So if we take this and we go, okay, I have to, God's this, whatever, outside of our relationship with him. We have what um, Paul was saying earlier is that salt can be, what did you say? <laughs> Broken down into two components. Each one is poisonous on their own. 
we have to keep our trust within the basis of a relationship with God. Because trust is in a relationship. You can't have a marriage without trust. So the covenant of salt, which doesn't say that it goes away, because remember it ends with the throne of David, Jesus being that descendant, that final king, who is now seated. That salt covenant is still active today. So every day God is asking us, will you in your everyday lives come in and will you trust me with your small decisions as well as your big ones, with your provision as much as the nation you're living in? It's a sign of God's faithfulness on his part. Our part is trust in his faithfulness. So the world today sees that trust has been earned. And the question I ask you is, does God still need to continue to earn his trust with you, his faithfulness, or has he done it already? Because I think sometimes we live out lives believing that he still needs to build trust in our lives because of the circumstances that we live in or find ourselves in. Did you know that salt is one of the most stable compounds that you can find in the world? In fact, it can't be diluted. I mean, broken down. There's very little chemical reactions that can actually break up salt. So the only thing you can do with salt is pretty much dilute it. But then Gary spoke last week of Jesus saying, your lives are like salt among people. But if you, like salt, become bland... How can your saltiness be restored? Flavorless salt is good for nothing and will be thrown out and trampled by others. And he spoke of how that, that salt was used in the temple, but it was also used on doorways and pathways. So, of course, I had to go and research that. So, what do you think Jesus was saying? Is that, did he really say that we can lose our saltiness? I don't think so. He knew the value of salt. He knew what it meant to the world's mindset then. He also knew being God that that chemical cannot be ever unstable and it cannot be, other than just being diluted, it can't be changed. So what was Jesus saying? Salt can become diluted. It can be impure and therefore taste less salty. So the salt in their days was found the, most likely the Dead Sea salt around where Jesus was living. That salt's very interesting because if the salt is found on the ground near the Dead Sea, it was very impure. It had absorbed a lot of the um, minerals from the ground and the soil, so it became actually very, it was very tasteless. And the only thing that they could use it for was to throw it on the ground. Why? Because it hardened the ground. It causes a lack of fertility, so nothing would grow. That would be perfect for pathways and things like that, to keep it hard. No weeds would grow. We should use that for our pathways. <laughs> so this is the kind of salt that Jesus was talking about when he said this bland saltiness or lack of saltiness. It's also interesting to note that human conditions, in humid conditions, salt absorbs the moisture. We all go down to Durban and they have the rice grain, grains of rice and the salt because the salt becomes wet, <clears throat> which again dilutes the taste of the salt. 
So now, I think Gary pointed this out last week, is that it's not that we will ever lose our salvation. We will never lose our saltiness. It's the most stable compound. Who we are, children of God, we will never lose that. That doesn't ever change. When you become a child of God, you are a child of God. But it's, it's our living out our saltiness before the world that he's addressing. It's how we do it. Have we allowed the impurities of the world, thinking, to come into our minds? Have we allowed our identities to be diluted by the world system? Have we allowed circumstances to cause us to stop trusting in God and His goodness? If you listen to all the songs today, what was it? It was speaking, it was declaring God is good. He's always good. He's a good father. And it declares who we are in that goodness. Another interesting thing about salt, salt causes thirst. We all eat salt and vinegar chips, and what do you do? You get thirsty. Our saltiness, our trust in the goodness of the Father, our trust that we are his children, and that ever-increasing measure of trust each day causes the world to thirst for the Father. That is the very thing. It's not that we live out lives. It's just Jesus says here, It's a good thing I haven't got any slides, Dad. I'm all over the show. It says, your lives light up the world and let others see your light from a distance. For how can you hide a city that stands on a hilltop? And who would light a lamp and then hide it in an obscure place? Instead, it's placed where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others so that the commendable things that you will do will shine as light upon them. And then they will give their praise to your Father in heaven. They used to use salt to make their lamps burn brighter. The more you trust in the goodness of the Father, the more that you're with Him, the brighter your light shines, the thirstier the world gets. Now, the thing is, it says in Romans 8.16, it says that, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. I don't know whether I live my life with that full understanding and that truth every single day. This week was a, a weird week. It was like I felt so discon disconnected from God. Now I'm going, Gary's going, so what are you preaching on? I'm like, I have no idea. And eventually, I had to get down to the point of going, you know what, God is so faithful that I trust him that he will give me something of value to give to you guys today. I never want to waste anybody's time. But I promise you, even on Friday, I was like, Ugh. and what I do when I, in that point is because I'm scared that I'm going to run out of a revelation of who he is. And I'm scared that he's, there's this fear that he might not be faithful. So I had to step out in faith and just start somewhere. We live our lives believing still that we are sinners who are merely forgiven, who have a ticket into heaven. We certainly don't believe that we are saints. I don't see the body of Christ, and I'm talking about general body of Christ, 
where believers truly believe the truth that we are not sinners anymore, that we are saints. That affects our behavior. Remember, it's Satan's job to give us the false impression of who we are and who God is. And when we believe in that lie, we empower it in our lives. Then that determines our behavior still. So then you have a whole bunch of believers who actually are children of God, who are seated in heavenly places, who are still living out the fact that they are sinners and that they do sinful things. We may occasionally sin, but we are saints, becoming more and more like Jesus every day. Being free in Christ should determine what we do. I'll say it again. Being free in Christ, which we are, that is truth, should determine how we behave. This is what God says about you as a believer. You are holy. You are blameless. You stand in the full righteousness of Christ before him. And we need to live out lives with that identity. Biblically, to die means to separate from. The Bible says that we are dead to sin. We are separated from our sin nature. Our head still needs to catch up with that truth. That's why we still have the renewing of our minds. And what do we renew our minds with? Trying to behave in a better way? No, I think we do that too often. We need to renew our mind with the absolute truth that we, you and me, we are sons and daughters of the king. To be alive means to be in union with. So now we are dead to sin. We have been separated from sin. Now we have been reunited in union with, in Christ and in the Father. I'm building trust with you guys. So let the truth that we are saints who become like Jesus more and more every day, therefore our trust grows in him because the only way that you notice like married couples and people who are good friends, they talk like each other. They start to think. I can pretty much guess how Gary thinks. Why? Because we've been together for so long. This is all born out of relationship. You can't trust God more if you're not with him and you don't know who he is. And then what happens is as we're with Jesus more, his righteousness becomes more evident in us. Not because of what we do, it's because of who we are. Remember, we are children. We start to live our lives like living sacrifices. Now remember, sacrifices, they sprinkle salt on. So as we start to sprinkle more salt on our lives, our trust in him grows. We shine brighter. The world is a little bit more attractive to, to us, and they get thirsty for God. It's not, it's not what we're doing. It's who we are. It's also interesting that they use salt on their incense. So not only are we shining brighter, we're smelling a whole lot better. Why? Because we are, as we start to spend time with God, 
and we discover who he is and we discover who we are more and more every day, we start to reflect Jesus more. Our worship gets deeper. So when we can sing those words with absolute conviction that he is a good father, he really is our good father, despite what's happening in our lives. And then the world gets attracted to that. They not only smell and they taste and they see that the Lord is good. Our relationship with God has to be based on our trust in him and our choice to trust in his truth. <clears throat> then what happens is our behavior changes because now we start living like saints. Why would I want to sin? I am not a sinner. I am a saint. I say to my kids, that is not who you are. You don't need to behave. You're not a liar. So why, they, why lie? It's not who you are. It's the same concept that God's saying to you. It's like, you're not a sinner, so why should you sin? Plus, God gives us Holy Spirit who empowers us to say no to sin and ungodliness. I was listening to some of Todd White's stuff last night. That man's amazing. I'm like, oh. And he was just saying, this is a lifestyle. And it's not about, the one thing he was saying was that he, he's seen the church, and this is a broad context, the church has become, the identity as a bride has become needs-driven. What can God give me? What can he do for me? Not to minimize people's pain and people's suffering and people's persecution. But if you read the Beatitudes, which is just before that, Jesus says, be ecstatic when you are persecuted. Or you can be ecstatic. I'm like, I don't know about that. But when you're accused, which we are, will be every day because we have an enemy and we're in a war. And when you live life of suffering, which Jesus also pro promises, we can be ecstatic. Why? Because we know who we are. The thing is that God literally paid for us. He gave everything. He gave his son, his only son. He literally paid it all for us. So I kind of think that God's part of this trust covenant is done. He is faithful. That is his characteristic. It is who he is. Names in those days mean that is who you are. And if God's part of God's name is he is faithfulness, don't you think our part is truly only to just trust in that faithfulness? That's our part of the, the deal here. So my part daily to wake up every day and go, I am your daughter. I am beloved. I am righteous in Christ. I am blameless. And it's all through the blood of Jesus. That is who I am. I wake up every day and that is my trust part. This is what I trust to choose in that truth. Then I go, because of that, I want to please you, Dad. I want to live out and serve you. Because that's what he's done with me. And it's interesting, God is amazing in that it's this increasing measure. It's like take a little bit of trust and we build on that trust and then we build on it. And now we find ourselves living in a country where God is saying, do you trust that it, this is still my kingdom 
Because all authority, all authority, heaven and earth, is under God's authority. So in a nation where we simply don't trust our president and the government, God is still asking for our measure of trust, not to be placed in people, but to be placed in his kingdom and his rule. So in our country where we can walk around and surely then South Africa needs that kind of light and that kind of saltiness to bring hope back into this land. As it builds trust, our relationship with God deepens. So, my question to you today is, will you trust him? And some of us are finding ourselves in just a little bit, the day-to-day, the one, some of us, some trust. He says, will you put some of your trust on your offerings to me? And then some of us, God's going, will you put your trust in all of your offerings to me? There's some of us, God, going, will you put... And this is a hard front one, I think, for Gary and I, and I think for a lot of people. Is going, will we put our trust in all of his provision to us? And then I think for all of us, he's going, will you trust in me for this land, for the government, for the authority that I've placed over you? Living sacrifices. Doesn't sound really... Nice, but what it does do is that it not only increases our light, we become more passionate for him. In turn, we touch other people, and they become more salty, and they want to taste and see that the Lord is good.